Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Unpublished. My name is Amy and today I have with me Brooke Solis. Brooke is a poet. Uh, she's the leader of a creative rebellion. She's a storyteller, um, magnet for magic and a creative coach. Hi Brooke. Hi Amy, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too. I've felt like I've been very excited. You are on top of my list of all the people I could ever want to have on my podcast. And so it's feeling pretty good that you're here. Well, I'm honored completely. I, you, you sent me that and I, you know, get a little, my heart melted. So I'm excited <laughs> that I'm here. Um, I want you to introduce yourself. I know it's like I mean, I personally find it very hard whenever I'm put in this kind of situation where I have to like explain myself with words, but I'm going to hand it over to you. How do you uh, introduce yourself in a space like this? Okay. So my name is Brooke Solis. I'm a poet and creative are the words that I lead with. Um, Creative being many things, including graphic designer, artist, photographer, um, website designer, all of these things. But basically... Mm -hmm. What I do is to empower anybody that comes across my work. Like my work is rooted in empowerment and lighting fires. So that is what I do along with rebelling against the ideas of what people think a creative is or a poet is and things like that. Basically, Mm -hmm. I'm a writer that is writing my own stories in, you know, the culture that tries to tell me you're this. Yeah. Oh, well, you did that really fucking well. <laughs> well thank you. <laughs> um, I want to touch on what you said about rebellion. Uh, for me, I think particularly in this last few months, like I've just finished reading Seth Godin's books, um, The Icarus Deception, and that's talking about how we are sold this lie or this myth that pervades our society that, um, you know, how Icarus shouldn't fly too close to the sun. You know, we shouldn't aim too high. We shouldn't uh, take risks. Um, and that doing so is a form of rebellion um, when we don't stay small, when we don't stay compliant. Um, how does rebellion play a place in your life? Rebellion is literally the roots of my life. Um, Not only Mm -hmm. is it a really prominent part of my personality, being somebody that um, just doesn't do well with people telling me how to be, that definitely, um, definitely comes from my childhood as well, but also for the fact that I've tried to fit into this bullshit idea that you have to, you know, go to uni and you have to have a job and nine to five, I tried it. I don't know. I can't even list. I think I've probably had maybe 25 jobs in my lifetime. I tried really hard. I went to uni and I just didn't fit. And for me not fitting, that resulted in me thinking there was something wrong, me being medicated, um, me thinking I had a mental illness when really I wasn't. I was a fucking creative that was supposed to be designing my own life and therefore everything I do is a rebellion against any story that I've been told because I was told so many stories and I believed them so long Mm. and I just now now everything I do I just have to question is this their story is this my story and if I don't like it if it doesn't feel good even if the rest of the world is doing it then I'm going to do something else fuck 
(laughs) (laughs) That story like sits very, very close to my heart. Like similarly, I tried, you know, I tried the nine to five. I tried all these different forms of work. um, And I felt stupid for wanting to live a fully creative life. And even when I did take the leap, when I told to take, when I like went to take my storytelling seriously and, and I got a cafe job to support my storytelling and I, I lived what looked like a creative life, I was still holding on to these stories with such a grip that I became mentally unwell because I was like, trying to lead two different lives. One was this creative life where I told my stories every day. I worked as a waitress or whatever the fuck job I was doing at the time. But at the same time, half of me was constantly berating myself, constantly telling myself that I was shit, that I was lazy, that I was childlike. Like I had some crazy stories going on in my head because I could just see that I wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. And it took me such a long time to realize that it wasn't what I was made for, that I was made to rebel, to break the rules, to to unstick myself from these stories. But it took me like years to get to that point. Absolutely. And it's not, it is not an, it's not an easy feat to do that. I mean, you know, not only um, being somebody that's creative, are we a smaller percentage of the world, but we also go against ingrained traditions and ideals and beliefs. Therefore, not Mm -hmm. only are we fighting ourselves, but we're fighting everybody around us. Um, And a lot of it can be disguised, you know, from family in worry and things like that. One of the things that I think creatives have is being able to envision forward and envision a better world. And what I think and what I've seen is a lot of um, a lot of people can't do that. Therefore, you know, they cannot see what we can. And that means that you're never going to get liberated from somebody else. You have to liberate. You have to go first. That is why yeah. anybody that's creative is progressive and is a revolutionary. Yeah. I was talking this morning about the fact that we are the only ones that can give ourselves permission to do that. And so many people just wait, like waiting for someone to tell them, yeah, it's okay. You can, you can do the creative work you're called for now, but, but no one can, no one will give you that permission. You have to be the one that says, okay, I'm going to do this. I give myself permission to do risky things. A hundred percent. And I mean, one of the, you know, one of the ideas or archetypes that I really like is the idea of the torchbearer. And I mean, you do have to go first in a way, Mm -hmm. in some form or another, because you cannot go, being creative, you can't go down the path that everybody else has gone down. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you can go the same direction, but when you're really, truly creative in that sense, you are alone in the dark and you have to step forward into that. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned is there's not going to be somebody ahead of me that is going to show me the way. Yeah. Once I let that go, I was like, right, this is also, you know, as much as it's my responsibility to, you know, take charge of my life, it's also my responsibility to lean into myself and take that first step forward, if not for me, then for everybody else that's stuck in a job that they hate or is misunderstood and so on. I love that. I love the image of the torchbearer. For a very long time, I had this really clear image of me on a path that was entirely dark, but I could see like some vague lights ahead. And so I, every day I just was like, okay, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the work and I'm just going to put one foot in in front of the other and just see where it takes me. But it is requires huge amounts of bravery to step into nothing the 
biggest amounts of bravery. I mean, it is yeah. it is the scariest thing that you can do. And I know that because when I did start writing and I did start sharing, I put it under a name that couldn't be recognized. Yes. Because, because of that reason, mm. because it is not easy to do. And not only that, you know, let's say you haven't been writing, you know, for your life or you've only been writing in secret or, you know, creating anything. And yeah. you then decide, I'm going to do this. But it is, it is unlike you, for example. Yeah. That's what people think. They're going to try to put you back to what you were or try to tell you this is not you and they don't allow you to grow. It's not just, you know, obviously the whole of society, but it comes from those closest to us. And it's that feeling of I'm a fraud. Oh, Yeah which a hundred percent yeah I can guarantee that almost every creative has been there and it is the most destructive force in our life yeah it is and it amazes me that like I've done huge shifting work like and I'm so so liberated from so many of the stories that held me in a, in a into a cage essentially but like even yesterday I'm trying to work on a project that really intimidates me at the moment and I sat down and I asked myself, I was like, hey, like, what's wrong? And I just felt like my inner child like come out and I was crying and I was just like, I just feel like this is so silly. I feel like I'm a fraud. And I could just hear this part of myself that was so scared of perhaps being something that I'm not, that I wasn't enough. And I was, I, it surprised me um, that I felt that so strongly Um because I haven't in a while, but it is amazing how potent that feeling can be and how it can, you know, catch you unawares, um, especially when you're trying to move into something else that's, you know, that much bigger or that different or that little bit scarier. Um, that feeling of being fraudulent is so prevalent. Absolutely. It doesn't go away. It's, yeah. you know, you grow it. And one of the things that I see it is as is, you know, growing into skin. So obviously, um, the idea of snakes, they their skin doesn't grow with them. They have to shed it and it's painful. Mm. Um, they go underground as well. They hide when that happens because the skin, your skin, and especially as a creative people constantly pushing and pushing the boundaries of their lives or themselves, it is not going to grow with you ever. Yeah. And so yeah. it's painful and it's painful for me. You know, I get, I get to a stage and I'm like, yes, I'm – on a roll and then I have to grow and I'm like I can't do this this is not <laughs> yeah. me and it doesn't matter you know what I do in which direction it shows up and the only thing I can do is literally have a standoff <laughs> like a western <laughs> standoff like I'm not moving you have to move yes yeah, I think it's very comforting to know that like this isn't once you've taken the first steps, you know, it's not like smooth sailing from then. Like, and I'm so glad that it's not. I'm so glad that I'm constantly challenged and I constantly have to have these like mini renaissances where I'm rebirth all over again um, and that I'm challenged to become better and better and that this growing is eternal uh, in our own creative journeys. Absolutely. I think one of the fastest roads to death as a creative is stagnancy. Mm. Therefore, you know, you feel no pain and it's all easygoing and you're living in stagnant waters. Yeah, I fear stagnancy. Me too. And I think that, you know, it's really, really easy. If you're not open to constant growth and really pushing yourself 
into those corners that feel slightly uncomfortable, then that's when stagnancy sets in. And that, that's 100%. the end. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, you said in an email that you don't feel blocked, but would you say you feel you ever get the feeling of like resistance and what's your relationship with like creative resistance? So, yes, I would say that I do get resistance, um, but I think I have a really different relationship with creativity than I I see a lot of other people have. Um, I'm not yes. entirely sure, but, you know, my relationship with creativity is cyclic. Therefore, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I do feel stagnancy, I do feel the other rushing waterfall explosive. Um, and this all happens in a month. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, when a lot of people, you know, say they're blocked, I can't relate because that is not how I see it. So for me, I mm-hmm. go through autumn, I go through winter, I go through spring and summer in the form of creativity. Um, so, you know, for about a week or so each month, I literally don't do much. I'm out in the sun. I'm watching Netflix. I sleep in. Um, That's where I feel that I fill up. And if I were to go and force myself to work, nothing would come and nothing of substance. And so what I do is I have this, this cycle of taking things in and learning things and relaxing and chilling out. And I see that the simplest way to do it is I see that as filling up my reserves and then it gets yes. to a certain point in the month, which is generally, I, you know, it really relates to me for the with the moon and that's something that is personal to me that I track. But it gets to a certain stage of the month and I am 100 mile an hour, full force, let's go. And that, that it's about a week and that's where all my content comes from in that one week of that month. Wow. Um, that's like 12 hour days, but there's days I don't work. I haven't worked. I don't think properly as in full days for at least 10 days now. Nice. So yeah, it's a, it's an understanding that for me, everything that was will come again and everything that doesn't need to be will leave. And, you know, if I sit down and I do try to write and it's not there, I don't feel blocked. I just say, it's not time. I need to fill up more. I love that. To me, that is such a a huge form of rebellion against uh, how society tells us to function. And also it looks like such a deep trust in your creative process that you understand um, the nature of your creativity and you know that it's not going to let you down and that when it's when it looks like, in inverted commas, resistance, it isn't resistance. It's just not time yet. I mean, that's really beautiful. A hundred percent. When I left my office job, I took the paradigm of nine to five, you have half an hour for lunch, mm. all of that. And I applied it to a creative life. And yeah, same. I still felt the same. It didn't feel mm. good to me. Um, it took me a long time to let that go and to let the idea go. I have to work Monday to Friday and I have weekends off. That's not how I work. I work yeah. until I can't anymore. And then I rest until I'm ready and then that's how I do it so some days you know I'm having days off in the middle of the week and I'm working my ass off on the weekends Mm. but it's it's knowing it's knowing your own self and your own creative cycles and having a relationship my my creativity or my creations are an entity on their own therefore Mm. I listen and they tell me and I don't force them into places I wouldn't want to be 
Oh, I love that. I deeply resonate with that. And I'm not, I'm not where you are there. I can recognize that. I still very much, like I can still feel myself uh, wanting to fit into the patterns that everybody around me um, works within. Mm. Um, only recently have I gotten to the place where I know that I do not work well after about 1 p.m. I'm a morning person. I really enjoy uh, feeling the first touches of the sun as it rises and then and just doing my work um, from, you know, in the earlier hours. And I used to get extraordinarily depressed in the afternoon because I would try and, and push myself to keep creating because I wanted to look like everybody else. Um, I was already rebelling enough. I was like, I'm already doing work that doesn't look like everybody else. Like I don't need to do, I, I, you know, I need to at least follow the hours that everyone else is working, but I, and nothing, it never, ever, I could never make myself do any work in the afternoons. And I used to just sit there and cry because I felt it just, I felt so ostracized, which is just such a, it's so powerful. These, I mean, they're such fucking random stories that we have to work from nine to five, but they are ingrained in us to the point where it was making me tearful that I couldn't like hold myself to these fucking random standards. They are so toxic. It, it's fucked. It's so fucked. It's so hard to untangle yourself. Even when I left work, I still felt that dread on Sunday. Yes. Like a drowning. That's fucked up. Right? And it took all, it took months for that to go away. It took a lot. I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel that. It was just like, why am I, I, I don't have to go to our work. Why do I feel like shit on Sunday evening? I, it's bizarre. And I'm, I'm really like, this is really inspiring to me because I still recognize Monday that I have this old tape playing that like, now it's time to hustle. Let's go, go, go. Um, and it's just complete and utter crap. Absolutely. And it, yeah. It, it really is. Unta- it's just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> How did you go about untangling these stories from your soul? How did you separate yourself from, from these lies and these stories? I couldn't, I couldn't push forward. Um, my work just wouldn't let me. I think mm. I have such a deep connection with uh, my feeling nature and with intuition. And if it doesn't feel good, it is really, really painful for me. Really painful. Mm. So what I started to do was I'm. I just said I'm going to rewrite everything. I really am. Yeah. I'm going to learn who the fuck I am. I'm going to learn how the fuck I work, and I'm going to rewrite it all. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. if they got all that wrong, what else did they get wrong? What else did I believe that doesn't fit me? And Mm -hmm. I knew that if I didn't do this, I would still be in my own hell that I've just created for myself. And so part of it just becomes, so for example, you know that you don't work well after 1 p.m. And so I go, Mm -hmm. okay, well, does it feel good or does it feel bad? And if it feels bad for you, working after 1 p.m. feels bad, fuck it off. For yeah. me, it is either fuck yes or fuck no, and there's fuck no, no in between. And, I mean, I, I run a business, so there's things I have to do. For example, on days I really don't feel like writing, there's still there's still logistics, there's still emails. It's not as if I, I completely neglect it. Yeah. But I go, okay, you know, this is how I'm feeling this day. What feels good? 
And sometimes you do, you know, you do have to do the work, but on a general day-to-day basis, it would be do all the writing that you love in the morning. And then if you still want to do some work, then you do the logistics. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I tend to do it. Yeah. And it, I, I do it intuitively. You know, I don't have a schedule. Mm. People ask me my morning routine. I get up, I have a shower, I have a coffee with my man. And then I see how I feel. I drop in. Yeah. You know, some days it's logistics. Some days I'm in my office writing. Some days we end up sitting there talking for like hours because that's what we do. And it's 3 p.m. I'm like, oh, I haven't done any work. Oops. (laughs) It's not not a pressure. It's a, it's a love, like what, Mm. it's a love for it. And, you know, when you, even when you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, that you love, there's, there's no pressure there. The pressure shouldn't be there. It's not going to, you know, putting that pressure to squish it isn't going to make it go further. It's just going to stagnate it or stop it. Fuck, I love this. It's putting your intuition above the cultural stories that permeate our world and having your intuition as your number one guidance and the God that you follow. A hundred percent. Intuition for me is number one. Um, and then, you know, then secondary for me is logic. And then the third would be my partner. <laughs> and then the fourth yeah. would be my friends. And I mean, I don't even know where society ranks on this. <laughs> no, they don't get a place. No, basically <laughs> it's, and I mean, this is going to be different for every personality, which is why I constantly, constantly really, really go on about knowing yourself and how you work because it's going to be different. You know, my partner can sit down and he can work for eight hours, but he's starting to take, okay, maybe not today. I don't work today mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel good. Some days yeah. we try, we sit down and we try and it's not there, so we go to the beach. Yeah. It's yeah, it's designing. you got to design it. I mean, if you want to rewrite your life, you have to rewrite your days. Oh, I love that. Um, my partner is going to freaking froth off listening to this podcast because he really, he has a very unique rhythm. Um, and it's interesting because our rhythms don't match. Um, he's very short bursts. Then he has long periods of relaxations. So his creativity comes in like moments of 30 minutes of, um, flashing like blind lights and lightning and he, he does it. And then he has hours off and then he comes back for another 30 minutes. And he's always really struggled with that again, just because it's, it, I mean, he's, you know, to this, to the societal world, like he looks like he's just slacking, like for like, you know, most of the day, but that's just how he works. And that's, and he chooses to honor that. And he is further along the road than I am in that because he knows that that's the way he works. That's the way he does his best work. Yeah, which is amazing to have that and stand in that mm. and not force yourself yeah. into into anything else. You know, this idea that it, that things are lazy because they don't fit into nine to five. I mean, you know, this came from when you know industrialization came in. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just bullshit old stuff that needs to be pushed aside. And yeah, you know, along with being creative, you also have to be progressive because it's. Being creative, naturally, you're going to rewrite culture. And why not start with you and your days and what your days look like? Yeah. I just think, I think it's amazing. And I think I I can completely relate into the sense of, you know, small births and then a lot of relaxation. Yeah. 
because you could half-ass it for eight hours or he could get the same amount done in 30 minutes than somebody else does. Exactly. And that's exactly what he does. I'd be really interested to hear about your relationship and your creative relationship with your partner. So you are, he's also a poet, isn't he? Um, so he doesn't identify as a poet, um, okay. writer, but he identifies as a philosopher. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, so that is, um, and that is the premise of his work. And a lot of it is mm. also, you know, rewriting for him as well. Um, me being somebody that's very stubborn and um, has a lot of strong values that are my own. Um, I'm really naturally um, resistant to the opinions of other people or being told certain things and very individual. Um, Him, Mm. he had to learn it. Obviously we're opposite in that sense. So a lot of his work really comes from not spouting off other people's philosophy, but creating his own. Yeah. How powerful. Yeah, so it's really, really good to see that. You know, a lot of people think, okay, well, it's an, it's another story. You have to be dead and gone and from Greece to be a philosopher. <laughs> but no. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's for him creating the own philosophy instead of reflecting books or old ideas that, you know, these people aren't even alive anymore. So what what mm. says that you cannot create your own new philosophy? Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, how do you support one another in your creativity and do your days kind of mesh into one another? Do you work side by side? How does it look? So um, we work in separate rooms. We also sleep in separate rooms as well. Um, individuality is a really, really strong value in our household. Um, but we don't cross over very much. I mean, we both very strong leaders and very strong personalities. So we collaborate in the sense of, um, I will do all of his creative visuals and I do all of that stuff that, you know, really just lights my fire. And he does all of the mundane stuff for me, you know, um, like the banking and invoices and all of that stuff. So we, we collaborate in that way. But yeah. in regards to our own work, it is our own. I mean, I don't, he doesn't get me to read his stuff. He only gets to read my stuff when it's posted on Instagram. We keep that, yeah, we keep that really separate. We've tried, we've tried to work together. It didn't go down very well. <laughs> it's yeah. just this clashing of, I want to leave. It is difficult. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I am. Um... So my partner is also a novelist and so obviously we, we do occasionally uh, swap pieces of work and I think I'm just, I'm, I am a very stubborn, very individualistic, very, and I, I, it is hard for me. Like I like having him read my work, but I'm not really willing to listen <laughs> to what he has to say about it. Because it's Aquarius, aren't you? Yeah. Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> Are you an Aquarius? I've got Aquarius moon and rising, so yes. Yes, there's a lot there. Um, Yeah, but I think it's different for him. Like I really enjoy – I mean, I just – I like that we can share each other's works and kind of bathe in each other's creativity in that way, and I see it maybe not as like a functional feedback kind of relationship but um, an honouring of each other's work and getting to enjoy each other's process. Yes, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's been – Really 100%. Good. I think, um, you know, a, 
within our relationship, opinions are only given when they're asked for. You know, we try the other way. I can I can naturally take on teacher role um, mm. and so can he. And so, you know, there's been times where we do clash and we've learnt that, you know, opinions aren't given unless they're asked for. So, you know, I, I literally go out and I say, I really need your opinion on this. What do you think? I'm stuck. But other than that, I don't need yeah. you. If I don't ask, don't give it to me. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure it's very different for other different relationships, but for me, yeah, there's a boundary there. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I need that. Um, I wanted to touch on I think it's kind of going back a little bit to what we were talking about before about cultural stories. Um, but the kind of mindset of scarcity, uh, particularly for writers. The other day um, I was discussing on my Instagram, I did a post that said, I think it was like, stop telling creatives how hard it is to make money or stop telling, like basically just talking about how frequently we are told that living a creative life means that you're going to not have abundance. Um, For me, something that really and it still triggers me to this day. I, I know that it's something that hurts. I get told a lot by random people most of the time that um, I really shouldn't put a lot of pressure on my books to make money. I shouldn't put a lot of pressure on my creativity to be able to feed me. Um, it's very hard to make money off creative work. Like I get a lot of that kind of energy coming my way. And it's something that I feel really, really strong about um, because I fucking hate it. Um, and I don't believe that we should be telling artists um, this kind of these kind of bullshit stories uh, when I think most artists are highly aware of the difficulties that they and the risks that they take when they choose to start this journey. Um, I just wondered if you had like any thoughts about that kind of again like that mindset of scarcity within the writing communities. Once again, it's it's another story that we embed yeah. within ourselves and and carry on and can be super toxic. So, mm. in regards to in regards to that, I can completely understand because obviously I have been told that. Um, yeah, I stopped sharing because these people don't know to me. So you know, if they haven't they haven't even attempted, then I shut off. Because yeah. why am I going to listen to somebody that hasn't even tried it? And number two, it's yeah. still again, I'm going to rewrite this. Um, for yeah. me, I did have the same fear. I didn't, I really didn't know that I could do it. Um, I had no yeah. idea how I was going to make it work. Everything really came to me once I had released my poetry collection for sale. But what I had to do is I had to actually put it out there for sale. So a lot of people, you know, in the ideas of, of making money, number one, they stick to traditional ideas. You know, you have to go through, you have to publish a book and you have to go through a publisher and things like that. Not only that, people mm-hmm. don't have knowledge about that. You actually have no idea how much money that you can make with that. Yeah. And for me, it's like I am not going to adhere to any stories, as I've said before, and this is another one of them. And so... I constantly go, okay, this is how everybody's doing it. How else can I make money? And how else yes. can I be abundant in that sense? Not only that, I also know that part of the responsibility coming with, for me being a poet, is educating the world why my work is important. 
because otherwise they're mm. listening to the TV that tells them that the Toyota is important and you should go get the latest one. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I have a responsibility to tell the world why these things are important. The whole world really, really uses and abuses creativity because creativity, you take it away for a day, podcast, music, art, everything. They would go insane. We are mm. so needed and so underappreciated that you then have to you have to rewrite that story not only for yourself but everybody else that comes across your work. Stand in it with conviction and then stand up and say, my work deserves compensation because if you didn't have it, this world would be less. Oh, yeah. So it has to be, you just have to have conviction with that. And I mean, my work supports both of us. I've made, yeah. uh, I doubled my salary that I was making at a um, secretary's job in three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I mean, how powerful and what a fuck you to the stories and the, like the persistent stories of lack and of like like Hemingway depressive, poor shit that gets, that surrounds creatives. Like uh, you're paving the way. It's fucking incredible. It's just the idea of the starved artist is done. Like it, it's done. It's, it's so, so done. done. I want to be a poet who is really abundant in every single way I want my bank overflowing like my notebooks overflowing and I have every belief in myself and anybody else that really and I mean really wants it will make it it just you have to throw away the bullshit you have to throw away the traditional stories otherwise it's going to it's going to block you from potentially reaching new heights exactly it amuses me that in order to write our stories, we have to rewrite all of our stories. hundred percent. Yes. It's so funny to see a lot of writers and poets out there writing and they're not turning internally and rewriting themselves. Oh my God. It's, I mean, I've had a year, a, like a real year of just complete rewriting and I am now making, I'm making so much more money. I am so much more in tune with who I am. Like I am unrecognizable right now as to who I was a year ago because I stopped writing my books and I rewrote everything that I knew about myself and that I knew about the world. And it's just, it's been the biggest lesson. It is. I, I have no words. And as somebody that speaks and writes, you know, that is massive. <laughs> but that is so important. I cannot, I just, mm-hmm. I I have no words for how important it is to rewrite that. Like so important. Mm. For me, I had the idea when I left work, I decided I'm going to get, I'm going to get a job. And um, I was really struggling. I'd actually gone straight into coaching and I was actually talking to my partner in which I said, I need to get another job. And he said, why? And I said, well, because, you know, I need that. I need to make more money. I'm I'm really not making as much as I should be. And he's like, well, why do you think you need to do that? And I was like, well, my mother always said, you know, if you need to get two jobs, yeah. three jobs, you do it. And he goes, did, they, did that ever help? And I said, fuck, <laughs> no, that yeah. never helped. We, we never got ahead. I've had three jobs in the past and I was broker than I am when I don't work for 10 days here. For me, 
yeah. it came from rewriting that and then rewriting the fact that I had to work hard to be abundant and have financial freedom. And when the more that I the more that I subscribe to the idea of working hard, the less money I make. Oh. <laughs> it's just so juicy for me. Like I just love speaking to someone who hates the word hustle as much as me. Like I'm so done with hustle culture and I'm, most of all I'm done with how much I bought into it and how much it still kind of lingers on me. I hate when I've had a day of working really hard. I'm like, fuck yeah, how good am I? When really I'm just as incredible and magic as when I do nothing all day. It's just a story I've bought. Absolutely. It is idolized. It's the new idolization. So it used to be starving artists. Now, now, yeah, it's now it's a hustling exactly. artist. Exactly. And that I'm, you know, it's romanticized, but it is, doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, you know, if you fucked. feel it, if you feel it in you to hustle, I get to that stage where I'm like, I'm doing 12 hours and I forget to eat it. I'm just so excited about life and please don't talk to me because I'm busy. But that's not every yeah. day. And so no. I'm not going to fit myself and I don't think anybody else should into something that is not sustainable it's Mm. really not it's seriously just not sustainable I get some people have a personality for it but Mm. if people actually stopped and and really reflected and maybe tried another way they might actually understand that maybe it's not them it's not their personality at all (laughs) it's just a mask or a way of feeling exactly and it's not I'm not going to give up the rest of my life and just enjoying slow walks on the beach. And my partner and I really enjoy having coffee in the middle of the day for a couple of hours. Mm. I'm not going to give that stuff yeah. up. I've also, I, I wake up between eight o'clock and 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't get up super early. I don't have a strict schedule. I'm not going to give up the life of pleasure for hustle Mm. yeah I mean what the fuck have you got at the end of the day from that like when when you die exactly (laughs) I yeah I mean I'd much rather have had a hundred more cups of coffee with my husband than like to have pushed myself to burnout exactly for what purpose exactly and and knowing that you know because I, I see it in seasons especially in your creative cycle there's a time there's a season for it and you can hustle all you like and you can enjoy that, you know, that high that you get and you're like, yes, I did everything on my to-do list and I've got so much done. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes, get in bed and watch Netflix and eat snacks and lay in the sun and chill the mm-hmm. fuck out because with, you know, you you swing one way and it's not going to fulfill you. You swing all the way to the other way. It's not going to fulfill you. It's the balance. It is the balance where as humans, we're so attached to the extremes. It's funny if we, uh, if we find that balance, it's for some reason not as sexy or marketable for some reason. Yeah. And I just, am going to do away with that story too. Honestly, the sexiest, the sexiest I've felt and the most fulfilled and happy and constantly laughing I've ever had in my life is with balance. Yeah, a hundred percent. That magic sweet spot. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brooke. This has been magic. (laughs) 
I'm so grateful. In a strange turn of events, just as I was trying to uh, say thank you to Brooke um, and to wrap things up on our podcast, our microphones just cut off. So unfortunately, we don't get to um, say goodbye to Brooke. But I just wanted to finish this off by saying how deeply grateful I am for her, uh, for the rebellion that she's leading, for the torchbearing that she is doing. That conversation just lit a fire in me. It is such a blessing to be able to communicate with someone who thinks like Brooke and who articulates themselves like Brooke. So I hope you all really enjoyed this conversation. It certainly was just a gem in my day and I am just endlessly thankful for her and her work. So thank you so much for listening, guys. I will be with you again next week.